All right, good morning. Pleasure to be here today. Really enjoy the opportunity uh, when I can um, preach because this is the only place I can do that. Leonard and Rich, you know, they can preach in a lot of places. This is the only place I can do that. So uh, my pleasure. This past year, our small groups met and we read through the book by Dane Ortland titled Gentle and Lowly. And this is a great book. Uh, I really enjoyed it much more than I anticipated. And we have these in the back. At least they were in the back. I'm not sure where they're at now. They're still in the back? Okay. And I encourage you to take one home if you don't already have one. Chapter 19 is titled Rich in Mercy, and I will be drawing from some of the insights the author shared as well as our text in what I share with you this morning. And again, if you've not yet read this book, I encourage you to do so because you may find, as I did, that your perception of God's mercy may be flawed. So let's read our passage as we stand. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. perceptions can be funny things. Allow me to begin this morning with a story to illustrate our topic of God's mercy. I served as a Marine for 25 years. Most Marines you see, they're always working out, even when they have a desk job. Now, I could understand that if you were in basic training or if you were a grunt, but some of these Marines... They were a little fanatical about the whole thing, in my humble opinion. I was a pilot, and I wanted to spend most of my time in my aircraft, and I pulled G's, and that alone kept me in pretty good shape, at least for the height and weight requirements that I was responsible to meet. I distinctly remember watching all the grunts running all the time when I was doing a desk job at Quantico as a lieutenant colonel and kind of laughing on the inside. But let me tell you, those grunts, they knew something I did not fully appreciate. We were Marines, and we always had to be ready. In 2006, much to my great surprise, I deployed with an infantry battalion to Fallujah, Iraq, in combat operations. Since I was a pilot, the Marine Corps needs pilots to be physically on the ground to operate as forward air controllers, to talk to the assets in the air and ensure friendly forces are protected 
during operations in that kind of setting. Now, I was 45 years old when I went on that deployment. Most of the Marines I was working with then were much younger than I was. I spent my days looking at young, hard fighting men who were highly motivated to perform their duty in exceptional fashion. Now, it's important to note that this environment is pretty challenging, no bathrooms, none of those amenities that we're used to and take for granted, and we didn't have mirrors. As I spent my time with them and looking at them, I began subconsciously to identify with them. I began to think I was like them. I thought I was them. We had a mission one day which required us to hump about five miles over rough terrain. You know, up and down, mostly up. Before we could arrive at the target site and control the aircraft for the mission, we arrived at the drop point and began our hump to the target. A hump is basically walking quickly with all your gear. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal until you're in it for a few miles. At that point, the weight of your pack becomes very apparent and you have a better understanding of why Marines are always doing PT. Up and down, mostly up. Did I mention that it was really hot? Well, after a few miles, I was having a hard time keeping up. My neglect of working out was beginning to become evident. Physical exertion in that kind of heat was tremendous. My 45-year-old body began to announce itself. After a while, they had to call a break so I could literally catch my breath. I realized many things at that moment, but the major learning for me that day was I was definitely not like the rest of the Marines that I had been working with. I was not 19 or 20. I was 45. My perception of who I was at that time physically was not congruent with reality. So when you think of God's mercy, what comes to mind? Reflect on that for a moment. What is your perception of God's mercy toward you? To begin, let's ensure we understand what mercy is. When we look into the Webster's Dictionary, we see that it states some common synonyms of mercy are charity, clemency, grace, and leniency, while all these words mean a disposition to show kindness or compassion, mercy implies compassion that forbears punishment even when justice demands it. Remember in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 27, Jesus shares a story of a rich ruler who was owed a great deal of money, and he ordered it to be repaid. The debtor came to him and begged for mercy. The sum was astronomical. He could never repay it. And the ruler forgave the debt. That is a good illustration of how we in our great sin come to God and he forgives us a debt that our good works or anything else can never repay. Because only the sinless life and sacrifice of his son Jesus can repay that debt. This, as we know, is the good news of the gospel. But what about now? 
How do you perceive God's mercy toward you now as a saved Christian when you approach God seeking his mercy? How does God's mercy display itself in your life? For many, when we think of God's mercy toward us as saved sinners, we may picture a stern and disappointed father who forgives us because, you know, that's what he does. And we escape his wrath, but we get discouraged because we know that we'll soon be here again. You may think his mercy was greater when you initially came to him at conversion. It was easy to see then, but maybe harder as time goes on. Perhaps when we look at our life, we don't see the evidence of that mercy and we become frustrated. We may think he will run out of mercy with how many times we seek it. I mean, what about everybody else in the world who needs it? Won't God run out at some point? What is your perception of God's mercy? In Ortland's book, he dives into bringing us a clear idea of God's mercy in our scripture passage. So let me read this from Ortland's book. <clears throat> Here's what he says. Ephesians 2.4 says, God being rich in mercy, being, not becoming. A statement like that is taking us into the inner recesses of the creator, into heaven's holy of holies, behind the inner veil, disclosing to us the animating center of God's very being and nature. He is the spring of all mercy. It is natural to him. It is his nature and disposition. Because when he shows mercy, he does it with his whole heart. This is why he delights in mercy. Scripture reference, Micah 7.18. This is why David acknowledged in prayer to God that the mercy shown to him was according to his own heart in First Chronicles 17.19. He is the fountain of mercy. He is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. In the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to grow greater, not less. How can that be? Because mercy is who he is. If mercy was simply something that he had, while his deepest nature was something different, there would be a limit on how much mercy he could dole out. But if he is essentially merciful, then for him to pour out mercy is for him to act in accord with who he is. It is simply for him to be God. When God shows mercy, he is acting in a way that is true to himself. Once again, this does not mean he is only merciful. He is also perfectly just and holy. He is rightfully wrathful against sin and sinners. Following Scripture's lead and how it talks about God, however, these attributes of moral standard do not reflect his deepest heart. Wow. When I read that, it made me realize that my perception of God's mercy was a little off. Perhaps some of you, like myself, 
are easily stuck on the performance aspect of being a Christian. In your mind, you compare the good works you do with your sin, and you try to ensure the balance is correct. More good stuff than bad, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? But then, if we are inclined to live that way, we easily become discouraged because the evidence of God's mercy is not showing up in our lifestyle. Why aren't things getting better? Why am I still struggling in this area? In our scripture passage, we see the state of affairs before we were saved. Let's read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 of Ephesians once again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was us. Maybe that is us. Some of us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. We were dead in our sins. And I love how the author, Ortland says, Christ was not sent to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. Again, I ask you, what is your perception of God's mercy towards you right now? Whether you are a lost sinner or a saved and still sinning saint, is it limited by what you are comparing it to? Too often, we use what we know to better understand things that we do not. Remember how I was not looking in the mirror when I was with those young Marines and I thought I was 19 or 20 again? I was looking at them and not recognizing myself. When we think of God the Father, we perhaps compare it to what we know of our earthly fathers. You know, the disapproving dad look. But the expanse of who God is greatly exceeds our ability to comprehend if we limit ourselves to what we know or experience here in our earthly state. Let me say that again. The expanse of who God is greatly exceeds our ability to comprehend if we limit ourselves to what we know or experience here in our earthly state. Take care of the influence of opinions or popular conceptions or words that may tickle your ears. We must go to his word first and foremost to see what he wants us to know. When we look to his word, we have a better understanding of both who God is and who we really are. His word is 
our mirror. In verse 4, we see that God is rich in mercy and that he loves us with a great love. Perhaps in reviewing your own life, you see those times that you've been mistreated, misunderstood. Maybe people have done you wrong and you think mercy has passed you by. Or perhaps you are reflecting on how despite all that he has given you, you have selfishly squandered his mercy by one stupid thing that you have done or a thousand little ones over time. In the book, Ortland answers these questions very eloquently, and I'd like to read his words on this for you again from the book. To you I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed, not frugal, but lavish, not poor, but rich. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. So let's wrap this up. I want us to reflect on three things this morning. What is God's mercy in relation to the sinner? What is God's mercy in relation to the saint? And what are you going to do with what you've learned about God's mercy this morning? First, for the sinner, you need to recognize your great need to be saved. Your presence alone here in church this morning is not sufficient to be secure in your salvation. If you are not saved this morning, I pray that God will open your heart to see the the reality and how good you think you are and how apparent your sin will appear, how inadequate your good works will be in rescuing you, how evident that will be to you and absolutely everybody and everything in heaven when you stand before God someday. And you will. If you think your sin is too great to be forgiven, I implore you to better understand the mercy that is available because God is rich in mercy, rich, a billionaire. The magnitude of your sin, it does not matter to the unquenchable fountain of mercy that is God. 
Are you ready for that right now? And despite the fact of our great sin, true for all of us, God has made a way of salvation through the only thing that could save us, and that's the perfect life of his son Jesus, who was tortured and suffered and was sacrificed in our place on a cross so that God, who is just, perfect, and holy, could extend his great mercy to us, to forgive us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We were dead in our sins. Dead people cannot save themselves. God calls and saves alone. It is by his grace and nothing else. See your sin for what it is. Turn to him. Do you hear his voice? For the saint, are you thinking, life is not fair to me? Have you been hurt by others or circumstances and cannot understand why this has happened? Perhaps you are in despair because of some failure in your life. You messed up and you can never recover from what you willingly did. Let me illustrate another aspect to help you better understand God's mercy. Remember when I had to take a break on that mission because I had to catch my breath? I mean, literally, I I could not breathe anymore. I was at the end of my rope physically. I was tapped out. Sure, my pack was heavy. Sure, it was 110 degrees. But I knew I had no one to blame but myself. I should have been working out as much as the grunts did. And I was the most senior Marine by rank in that platoon. Leaders lead from the front, right? And when they had to call a stop for the platoon because of me, let me tell you something. I, I had just let the platoon down. I had failed to live up to what I had signed up for. I was pretty low. I was ashamed of myself. But let me tell you what happened next. As soon as the platoon leader called to stop, every Marine formed a 360-degree circle around me, rifles pointed outward toward the danger to protect their asset, which was me. Needless to say, I felt pretty safe at that moment. I felt safe in the center of the circle. As I sat there catching my breath, some of them occasionally looked back at me to see how I was doing, and here's the thing that caught my attention the most. In the eye of all those Marines, there was no judgment, none. No big deal. They were Marines, and this was just part of what they did. When these things happen, there's a process. We follow it. Just another day at the office. When I was ready, we fell out again, and we completed the mission successfully. But I never forgot how in the midst of my failure... In the midst of my shame, those eyes looking at me that had no judgment. I was safe in the center of that circle in more ways than one. So if you, saint, are caught up in your circumstances or your guilt and your shame, know that God's great mercy is there. In his eye, you will not see judgment but love. Remember verse 4, a great love 
As you sit encircled by the saints around you to perhaps catch your breath, to be refreshed, you are safe. This is just something we do as we go through life. It's a process. Just another day at the office. Part of the refining process as we journey our path on this earth. His great mercy is available to you right now, today. Turn to him. Finally, what will you do with what you've learned about God's mercy this morning? Remember the ruler in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 35, who forgave the debt? And the one who was forgiven went out and did not forgive a very small debt that was owed to him? Let me read that to you real quick. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all, the, all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We need to show mercy to others. Are you doing that? Do you love and show mercy toward those who you disagree with? Are you displaying the level of mercy to others that God has shown to you? And while it's difficult to show mercy to those who mistreat us, or who we disagree violently with, what about one another? Are we encircling and protecting each other when somebody among us fails? Do they feel like they can approach us for help when they've really messed up, knowing that they won't see judgment in our eyes? Do they feel safe in the center of the circle of us? As we believers progress on the path of life, we are becoming more and more Christ-like, in part to demonstrate the reality of Christ in us to the world. Ask God to show you your heart in this area. As you grow in your understanding and appreciation of God's mercy in your own life, reflect that in the way you communicate and interact with those around you, be they, be they sinners or saints. Wherever you are today, know that our God is a fountain of mercy, a, bil a billionaire 
a never-ending stream of mercy free to you and waiting. Remember verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning as we think about your mercy. Grateful hearts for those of us who have received your mercy. And in truth, all of us have received your mercy to some degree. I pray for those of us here who are not saved, that they would see your mercy waiting for them, that they would not rely on their own actions, their own goodness, that they would see that it's inadequate and they they would turn to you. I pray for those here this morning who, who do not understand your mercy as it relates to them, as they look at how their life is and and it doesn't make sense as they contemplate uh, sins that they have in their life, as they deal with their shame, that they also would see your mercy available to them. And Father, I pray that all of us would go forward from this day knowing your word and knowing that we need to demonstrate that mercy that you have displayed to us, we need to display that to those around us, in our families, in our workplaces, to the world around us, so that they can see you at work in our lives and marvel at who you are, and that it would all bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.